All right. So where we're going to be at uh, tonight is picking up on um, a series that we started some time ago. I apologize that the series got so kind of uh, interspersed with other things, but that's in the Lord's sovereignty how it how it has come about. So tonight we want to get back to studying about stewardship, particularly about giving, giving as God gives. And in, in the past, we have, have looked at um, various reasons why we should give generously. So, uh, you know, as we looked at in the past, uh, the big idea is giving our, giving our money away can be a dead, legalistic, and painful experience if we don't have the right motives for giving, which is why we're looking at motives, motivation for giving. We, when we approach giving from a biblical perspective, giving generously becomes joyful, voluntary, and a beneficial act of worship to God. And so why, why should we give generously? You know, this, up to this point, we've looked at, at um, six, six different reasons. I'll just cover them briefly. We are to give generously to worship God. We give generously to amplify, or you could say magnify God's, God's grace. We give generously to participate in God's work. We give generously to invest in God's kingdom. We give generously to, to prove the sincerity of our love for Christ and love for others. And we give generously to protect ourselves from um, uh, covetousness. So that's really what we're going to look at uh, this evening. We give generously to protect ourselves from the sins of money. Really, the, the, these are sins of covetousness, greed, and the love of money. And the Bible, as we said before, the Bible actually has a lot to say about money and about how we handle those finances. Um, so just to cover some of the, the dangers, uh, the dangers of wealth, uh, you've got the danger of covetousness. In Exodus twenty seventeen. The scriptures tell us you shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything that belongs to your neighbor. So there's a, there's a danger to us of, of coveting something that somebody else has. There's a danger of greed, and that's highlighted for us in passages like uh, Luke 12.15. Uh, Luke 12.15 uh, Jesus said, Beware and be on your guard against every form of greed. For not even when one has an abundance does his life consist of his possessions. So even when you have a lot, uh, your life doesn't consist of those things. They can vaporize, they can vanish, and obviously you can't take any of them into eternity with you. So your life is, is does not consist of one's possessions. And then there's another passage on greed, Ephesians 5, 3, which says, Let but immor uh, immorality or in any impurity or greed must not even be named among you as is proper among the saints. So the scriptures are very clear here. Like greed is just not, not to be part of a Christian's life. But how many pastors have you heard swindle like lots of money? How many pastors like have all these big mansions and you know, the $65 million jet that flies them, you know, place to place to place. Because thankfully, those are, those are the, the big ones in the news, but thankfully that's not the common pastor who is honoring the Lord. But I'm just saying, don't they get it? They, the requirement for all believers is agreed is not to be named anywhere among you. And yet we have people sometimes in high-profile churches or whose church may be in, in scare quotes, 
because they're not committed to the truth. But the point is that church leaders should know better than anybody else that greed is to have no place in a Christian's life. And yet you see it so obvious in, in some of their lives with, you know, the thousand dollar tennis shoes. I don't know. There's a whole, I don't know. I'm not on Twitter, but there's a whole, uh, it's either on Twitter or something, you know, the pastors and sneakers and they're all, it's a, somebody that's, that's basically drawing attention. It's not, it's not drawing attention in a good way. It's drawing attention in a bad way. It's like, look, see a pastors of big churches that are more concerned about their fashion than about whether they exposit the word of God correctly. So these things just should not be. It's very clear from scriptures, but it's so, we're all so prone to this and God knows it. So he warns us against covetousness, against greed and the love of money. Uh, There's two passages I want to read to you uh, that warn us about the love of money. First Timothy 6.10, for the love of money is a root of all sorts of evil and some by longing for it have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. So the love of money that's down that path and it's so easy to start going down that path and you think, oh, if I just have this, I just have this, I'll, I'll, I'll be happy. That's what we tell ourselves. That's what all the commercials you see are about. If you just buy this car, your life will be happy or you know, take this vacation or whatever, whatever, whatever it is that it's the same marketing ploy. It's buy this and you'll be happy. But that's not the reality. Is. Those things can actually pierce, your, pierce you with lots of grief. Um, the more you have, the more you have to take care of, the more that can be stolen from you, the more that you can lose. So it, it really does not bring the happiness that everybody thinks that it, that it will bring. And then in Hebrews 13.5, there we're told, make sure that your character is free from the love of money, being content with what you have. For he himself said, I will never desert you, nor will I ever forsake you. It's always, you know, see, so easy to look over at the neighbor next door or your friend who you know, um, to look at those, uh, you know, images on Facebook, Twitter, or the magazines, or, or whatever you, you happen to be looking at uh, as a temptation to you. It's so easy to look over there and, and just allow that to, to kind of hook you in. But the Lord wants us to learn how to be content. Um, and then the, there's another danger too connected with wealth, and that is procrastination. Um, Exodus 22 verse 29 says, "You shall not delay the offering from your harvest and, and your vintage. You shall not delay the offering." The idea is there: if you delay, you kind of like we all kind of forget. You delay, and often it just doesn't happen. Right? Um, and Deuteronomy 23, 21 says something similar. When you make a vow to the Lord your God, you shall not delay to pay it, for it would be sin in you, and the Lord your God will surely require it of you. So the, it's just a principle there. It's um, making a, a, vow, a vow, a sacrifice and a vow. But the idea is don't delay. Um, give um, and, and don't procrastinate. In, in many ways, uh, procrastination is, uh, can, can be a sin. Uh, in these things. So what do we do about it? Well, we battle procrastination by giving and um, in, in giving by completing what God intends for us to do. Remember we talked about in Ephesians 2, 8, 9, and 10 that God has prepared these works ahead of time that we would walk in them. And so the, the way to fight some of these sins of covetousness, greed, love of money, procrastination 
is just to get out there and do it and give the money away and you'll see what God will, will do. And a passage I want to take you to, I mentioned this is a key passage on giving, is 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and chapter 9. These things flow together. So if you would open up your Bibles to 2 Corinthians 8. And I'll read to you verses 7 to 11. Here Paul is addressing the, the Corinthian church and encouraging them to complete something they said they were going to do, but they hadn't yet completed it. Verse 7, he says, But just as you abound in everything, in faith and utterance and knowledge and in all earnestness and in the love we inspired in you, see that you abound in this gracious work also. I am not speaking this as a command, but as proving through the earnestness of others the sincerity of your love also. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. I give my opinion on this matter, for this is for your advantage, who were the first to begin a year ago, not only to do this, but also to desire to do it, but now finish doing it also, so that just as there was the readiness to desire it, so there may be the completion of it by your ability. For if the readiness is present, it is acceptable according to what a person has, not according to what he does not have. Uh, for this is not for the ease of others and your affliction, but by way of equality. At this present time, your abundance being a supply for their need, so that their abundance may become a supply for your need, that there may be equality. And he, he goes on in that, in that light. But, but note there that, that Paul calls them to really stop procrastinating. They, they, they had a good idea. They, they wanted to, to, to uh, participate in this offering. Uh, of helping the, the poor Jews in, in Jerusalem who were suffering under under um, a famine and on harsh conditions there. And he's saying, finish it. Do what you said you were going to do and finish the work. So it's so easy in regards to giving to, to put have a desire to give. And yet, because you don't take steps to actually um, make that giving materialize, take the steps to actually give it, it kind of just kind of the desire just kind of fades away. You want to help, but you don't help. So we must not let the old enemy of procrastination detour us from completing the good work that God has put on our heart to do. So how many times in my own life have I desired to do something, but, de but by delaying, it never got done? Right? So we need to, to be on guard against that. Now, when we don't have much, or let's just say we don't have as much as we want, we must battle the love of money and greed and covetousness by developing contentment with what God has provided. And even, even in the idea when you don't have everything that you want to have, there's still so much that you can give. Right? You might look at it like, well, I don't have as much as somebody else so, so they can give. But the, but the whole idea here is developing that, that generous heart long before your pockets are you know, stuffed with cash. The idea is, if you don't start developing the habit of giving, giving generously when you have little, when you have much, you won't change any, right? You just won't change. So listen, listen to how Paul, uh, Paul's response here in Philippians 4.10. He says in Philippians 4.10, But I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at last you have revived your concern to me, or for me, sorry. Indeed, you were concerned before, but you lacked the opportunity. Not that I speak from want, for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. I know how to get along with humble means, and I also know how to live in prosperity. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, both of having abundance and suffering in need. 
I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Nevertheless, you have done well to share with me in my affliction. So the Philippian church had sent a gift uh, for Paul uh, and had, had met a need of his. And what Paul is saying is that he has learned the secret of contentment, right? And that contentment, the secret, is really recognizing that you have exactly what you need, looking to God and God is supplying and learning to be content in whatever he supplies for you. And if you're looking at what the Joneses have next door, that's going to be very hard. But if you're looking towards Christ, recognizing, no, I have exactly what I need. I might want more, but I have what I need and I'll just wait for my God to supply it. That's the secret of contentment. Um, and, and notice too, there's a parallel passage we won't turn to for the sake of time, but in Matthew 6, verses 24 to 34, 25 to 34, there's um, a passage where Jesus says that God God knows everything that you need. Don't, don't be anxious for your life, what you wear, what you'll eat, where you live. But but uh, just to, to pray uh, for those things. Your Father, your Heavenly Father knows what you need and will supply those things. So that, that's really, those are the two keys of, of contentment. Just looking towards Christ, getting your eyes off of the material possessions of somebody else. And you notice when we look at others, I can say this because I have the same problem is we only look at the people who have more than us, don't we? Right? We don't look at the people around us that have less. Right? We just look at the people who have the better car or the bigger house or the better game or whatever it is that, um, that you're looking at. You don't look at all the ones that have less than you. That's a little lie that uh, Satan tries to um, you know, push those buttons in our lives because he knows how the, the weakness of our flesh so when we have, we don't have as much as we want. We we battle the love of of um, this that that battle for contentment and developing contentment, and even in that, being generous giver to the, to what we have. Again, notice what what he's saying there. It's that the the gift is God has God has given us money and possessions to be able to meet needs. And even if you only have a, a little to give, he's given you that little to give to give in His name to honor and glorify you. So on the opposite side of the extreme, when we have all that we need, we may not have all we want, but we have all we need, we need to to still battle the love of money and the battle of against greed and the battle against covetousness. Again, by engaging in good good works, which means giving generously. 1 Timothy 6, verses 17 through 19 tell us this, instruct those who are rich in this present world not to be conceited, or to fix their hope on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly supplies us with all things to enjoy. Instruct them to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous, to be ready to share, storing up for themselves the treasure of a good foundation for the future, so that they may take hold of that which is life indeed. And we've talked about this because we've looked at the various aspects, various aspects or motivations for giving. Now, part of, part of our giving is you can't take any of your wealth with you, but you can send some of it on ahead. What do we mean by that? Meaning, meaning that you can't take any of it with you, but as you, as you do the work that God desires you to do, you lay up rewards for yourself in heaven. The Lord will honor you and glorify you. And even those rewards, um, they have time to develop it fully, but they're basically um, whatever rewards the Lord gives us for things we're just going to cast back at his feet anyway. Right? They're not, they're not to, to like rewards on earth. Lots of times people get prideful about it, but rewards in heaven are very different than that. They're just, they're just things, they're gems that God produces. And we're going to say, God, look what you did through me. 
and we're going to give him the glory. It's not about us. It's about him. So when we have all we need, we, we, have to, we still have to battle and, and giving. You, you would think that, you know, that the, the more wealth you have, the easier it's going to give. But if the, again, if the habit isn't developed when you have less, then that habit isn't there when you have more. Um, Acts 20, uh, verses 33 and 35, Paul speaks to the elders of Ephesus and he says them, he goes, he says, I have coveted no one's silver or gold or clothes. You yourselves know that these hands ministered to my own needs and to the men who are with me. And everything I showed you that by working hard in this manner, you must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus that he himself said is more blessed to give than receive. Right? So that's, that's, that's something to really hammer home. And that, that, uh, those words of Jesus are nowhere recorded in the gospel. So we don't know exactly where he said that. But, but Paul uh, uh, perhaps, uh, received that probably by inspiration of the Holy Spirit that Jesus said those things. That Jesus said it's more blessed to give than to receive. Our world's got that all twisted around. and Just reverses that. It's more blessed to, to receive is what our world thinks. And we're very influenced by that. So we have to push back on those ideas in our mind. And, and remind ourselves that it's better to give than to receive. Blessed is the idea of happy. It is a, it is a much more blessed experience to, to give than to receive. So giving our belongings away is a very helpful preventative and, and remedy for the love of money, for coveting, for, for greed that, that can and even uh, that can come in with uh, and, and procrastination that can come into our lives. And, and um, Brad Clausen in his lesson on practicing charity highlights that God has not left his people without warnings about the dangers of wealth or without prescriptions for combating its threat. In fact, one of the primary strategies for keeping wealth in its proper place is the practice of charity. Well, the practice of charity is talking about generous giving. So I'll just read that again. That one of the primary strategies for keeping wealth in its proper place is the practice of charity. So if you have all that you need, be careful to not let your wants become needs. And then um, if that becomes the case, then we are in danger of greed, the love of money, covetousness. And, and remember that the remedy is to develop our a generous spirit, to, generate, to, to develop being the... the uh, the generous giver. And if you're already a generous giver, then develop then increasing that um, level for the Lord's glory. So again, why should we live, give generously to the other things we've already mentioned? We give generously to protect ourselves from covetousness, greed, and the love of money. Um, the next reason for giving generously is to encourage others to give generously. So look at in 2 Corinthians 8, Look at verses 6 through 8, 2 Corinthians 8, 6 through 8. So we urge Titus that as he had previously made a beginning, so he would also complete in you this gracious work as well. But just as you abound in everything, in faith and utterance and knowledge, in all earnestness and in love, and in the love we inspire, see to you that abound in this gracious work also. I'm not speaking this as a command, but as proving through the earnestness of others the sincerity of your love as well. And then he, he continues going on. So, um, and look at verse verse one. I think this is really where I wanted to, to look at. Look at verses one. Now, brethren, we wish to make known to you the, the grace of God, which has been given in the churches of Macedonia, 
that in a great ordeal of affliction, their abundance of joy and their deep poverty overflowed in the wealth of their liberality. For I testify that according to their ability and beyond their ability, they gave of their own accord, begging us with much urging for the favor of participation and support of the saints. And this, not as we had expected, but they first gave themselves to the Lord and to us by the will of God. And then that's where it kicks in in verse 6. We urge Titus, as he previously made a beginning, so he would complete this gracious work in you as, as well. So he, he, is, he is using the, um, the Macedonian churches um, as, as a, an impetus, as an encouragement to the Corinthian church to give. Look at chapter 9. Good chapter 9, um, verse 1. For it's superfluous for me to write to you about this ministry to the saints, for I know your readiness of which I boast about, of which I boast about you to the Macedonians, namely that Achaia has been prepared since last year and your zeal has stirred up most of them. But I have sent the brethren in order that our boasting about you may not be made empty in this case, so that as I was saying you may be prepared. Otherwise, if any Macedonians come with me and find you unprepared, we, not to speak of you, will be put to shame by this confidence. So I thought it necessary to urge the brethren that they would go on ahead of you and arrange beforehand your previously promised bountiful gift so the same would be ready as a bountiful gift and not affected by covetousness. Now, what, what, is, what is he doing here? He is using the example of the Macedonian church and how they gave they gave liberally, even though they gave, he said, he describes them as giving beyond their ability. That means if you look at how they live, they gave well beyond what he would have thought they could have given. And he's using that as an impetus to the, to the Corinthian church to, to, to do what they had wanted to do from the very beginning, but got sidetracked for some reason. And we're not given all the reasons, but whether uh, for whatever reason, they didn't get that offering collected. And so he's using the Macedonian church to encourage the Corinthian church. And when the Corinthian church gives generously, it's also have a reciprocal, uh, reciprocal impact upon the Macedonian church to encourage them likewise. So it's the idea here is that generous giving encourages more generous giving. Um, and so you might be reading this and think, well, what about Jesus' words in Matthew 6, 1, where he says, Beware of practicing your righteousness before men to be noticed by them. Otherwise, you'll have no reward with your Father who is in heaven. So when you give to the poor, do not sound a trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, so they may be honored by men. Truly, I say to you, they have the reward in full. But when you give to the poor, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, such your giving will be in secret. And your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. So how do we reconcile what Jesus says with what Paul is, is doing here? Well, you reconcile it this way. First of all, Paul is not identifying any particular one particular person who is, who is giving. That's the first thing to note. Second thing to note is nobody in the Macedonian church would stand up and say, give like I give, right? And drawing attention to themselves. Paul is using the church in, in, in general and, and even in the whole Macedonia section, Macedonia is a region anyway, but even if he was using the Corinth church, which was one geographic location, he's still not naming individuals. And he's just saying, give like they give, and, and their generous giving would encourage others. And so he's not violating anything that Jesus um, 
you know, told us to do. And, and in fact, it happens a little bit even, even within our church. So people give, they give anonymously. I don't have any idea what people give. Those who count the offering know, but they keep that uh, discreet. They keep the records and all that's uh, very discreet. But when you look at the overall figures each week, as, a, as the bulletin is updated, you see, wow, there's some generous giving there. And that encourages more generosity um, from people. So uh, even if you don't know who, who gives what, um, and there's very few that actually know who actually uh, gives what. So as I said, I'm not one of those. Um, but the idea there is just the generous giving encourages other generous giving, other believers to give for the glory of God. And then in the final, the, the final one we want to cover here is that we give generously to bring thanksgiving to God. And, and you could say that it, it, we began with giving as an act of worship. We end with an act of worship. Right? Just that thanksgiving, thanksgiving is a, is a different act of worship. Look at uh, 2 Corinthians 9. Look at verse um, 10. We'll read uh, 10 to 15, verses 10 to 15. Now he who supplies seed to the sower... And, and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in everything for all liberality, which through us is producing thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of the service is not only fully supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing through many thanksgivings to God. Because of the proof given by this ministry, they will glorify God for your obedience to your confession of the gospel of Christ and for the liberality of your contribution to them and to all. While they also, by prayer on your behalf, yearn for you because of the surpassing grace of God in you. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. And ultimately that gift he's referring to is Christ himself. But when we give in a... Um, in obedience to the confession of the gospel of Christ and for and, and to honor and glorify him, um, this the gift then results in thanksgiving to God. Because people, when people have, have a need, when you have a need, what are you told to do in scripture? Pray. Okay? And pray and commit that need to God. And, and God could cause manna to come down from heaven if he wants to. But typically, he uses what? Who? Individuals. He uses his people. So his people become the instruments of his grace to meet those needs. And sometimes you know about a need and can meet that need. And sometimes the Lord just impresses upon you, right? I'm not, we don't, it's not like hearing the, the still small voice of God. I'm not talking about that. Right, because um, um, that's very confusing. People confuse that with what their own thoughts. So that that's not what we're talking about. What I'm saying is, you know, when the Lord is moving in your life to do something, He's prompting you internally to do something. The Holy Spirit is prompting you to do it. You do it. You don't really know the reason, and and you find out later the person had a need. They were praying for five hundred, and you end up giving them five hundred, and there was no communication between the two of you. That's just God working to meet needs. Right? He does that all the time. And when that happens, that person then results, they know God provided the money just when that was needed. I mean, how many times in history you read biographies? You don't read Christian biographies, you need to, especially 
biographies of missionaries, right? How many times are they praying for God to meet a specific need and God met that need? Sometimes he provides a whole lot more, right? So I was giving, I was told Hakum about an example, a missionary story we listened to recently about a, um, a missionary lady who was um, in a POW camp in uh, World War II in, in Japan. And uh, not in Japan, but it was a Japanese POW camp. And she was starving, uh, very sick with, with multiple illnesses because of her poor diet. And the Japanese thought she was a spy for the United States, an American spy. She wasn't. But um, she saw one of the other prisoners have a banana. And she, she was in isolation. And she just saw that through a small little window. And she's like, oh, God, can I please just have one banana? And she prayed. And she's like, I don't know how God's ever going to get a banana into this cell because I don't know how he's going to do that. But long story short, um, her, the director of the POW camp that she was in came because she was in a special cell for like spies. Again, they, they thought she was a spy. The director, Japanese director of the POW camp that she was in, heard she was sick, came over and um, arranged for her to have a whole, I don't know what you call it, um, what do you call it? A bunch of bananas. That turned out to be 92 bananas. So, and then she's like, oh God, please forgive me for doubting that you could bring me one banana and you have so abundantly provided. And 92. <laughs> so the, the point is, when that happens, it results in thanksgiving to God. God uses all sorts of ways to provide what we need. And so these kind of things just results in thanksgiving to God. And, um, you know, the whole idea of thanksgiving is, is a really, it's an, it's an aspect of worship to him. The, the Greek word for thanksgiving is the word eucharista, which eucharist. It would be if you're from a Catholic background, eucharist, you think of what? The mass, right? What's going on in the mass? Well, the word Eucharist is really just a Greek word to make thanksgiving. You're giving, you're giving God thanks for his gift. Ultimately, it's his indescribable gift, which is Jesus Christ. That's his ultimate gift. But there's these little gifts that get us um, through whatever crisis or need is going on. So thanksgiving to God is a form of sacrifice to him that pleases him. Uh, Psalm fifty fourteen says, Offer to God a sacrifice of thanksgiving and pay your vows to the Most High. So God considers thanksgiving a, a form of sacrifice, a, a worship to him. Uh, Psalm fifty twenty three says, He who offers a sacrifice of thanksgiving honors me. And to him who orders his way aright, I will show the salvation of God. Psalm 104 says, Enter his gates with what? Thanksgiving. And, and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him. Bless his name. Psalm 107, verse 22 let them also offer sacrifices of thanksgiving and tell of his works with joyful singing. You know, that one woman who is now in, in heaven, uh, she survived the POW camp, but she, of her age, she, she, she died um, several years ago. But she, no doubt, entered the Lord's presence with joyful shouts and thanksgiving right? because of how good he was. And even in the POW camp, she was so thankful for God's work. 
And she knew that she was there by the hand of God. And even though she didn't understand it, uh, she trusted God to do work in her life through through that. And and she helped many of the other prisoners. And in fact, even the director of the POW camp ended up coming to know Christ. A Japanese right, man coming to know Christ through her witness because of how she responded and how faithful she was. So come back to the idea of giving. Your generous giving produces thanksgiving to God. And the more we give, the more thanksgiving God gets. He is glorified by that. So just think, you know, this is a this is a question for you to think about, not answer out loud. What is your giving like? What does the Lord think of your giving? And again, we're not talking about the the overall amount. We're looking at we're looking at is your would God say that whatever you're giving, right? Humans might look at it and say, Oh, that's not very much, but with, with what God knows you have, are you being a generous giver? Are you giving generously? And even sometimes it goes beyond monetary giving, but also giving of, of time as well. That, 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 that plays into it as well. Are you being generous? And are you giving for the right reasons and for the right attitude? So why do we give generously? Just to summarize all these, we give generously to worship God. We give generously to amplify God's grace. We give generously to participate in God's work. We give generously to invest in God's kingdom. We give generously to prove the sincerity of our love for for Christ, our love for God, our love for others and the brethren. We give generously to protect ourselves from covetousness, greed, and love of money. We give generously to encourage others to give generously, and we give generously to bring thanksgiving to God. Um, and, and so that really closes the first part of the, of the lessons. I know it's been stretched out over three individual lessons, but the first part of this was just the motives for why we give. And next time we'll um, start into part two, which is the principles of giving. And we'll deal with the issue of tithe and, and uh, you know, probably raising your question is, well, generous giving, well, what, what does that mean exactly? So we'll talk, talk more about the principles uh, of giving next time. Well, let's, uh, let's close in prayer. Our Lord, we want to thank you that you are a generous God, that you give generously to us, not just food and clothing and money and things we need for our daily lives, but, but you've given us Christ. You've given us of yourself. When we were dead in our trespasses and sins and completely unworthy, completely unworthy, completely uh, non-deserving of your love, Lord, while we were yet sinners, Christ had died for us. And, and even living our lives, Lord, for you, you rescued us. We didn't earn your attention. We didn't, we didn't um, um, become a, a gleam in your eye and, and, and somehow, Lord, um, create a desire in you to save us. You saved us. You saved us. You began working our lives long before we even thought about um, honoring you and, and wanting to believe in you and be saved. So we just rejoice in you as uh, a generous God that you are and just ask you to help us to, to live um, like you in that way, to be generous because you are generous. Lord, whether we have a little or a lot, help us to, to be generous, help us to enjoy and uh, Lord, uh, just to enjoy giving for your glory. It's the name of Jesus we pray, amen. Thanks for listening to the pulpit ministry of Medina Bible Church in Medina, Ohio. You can find church information, a complete sermon library, and other helpful materials at Medina.com.
www.medinabible.org. This message is copyrighted by Medina Bible Church. All rights reserved.